Welcome back to the Atlanta Construction Podcast. Uh, very pleased to uh, have our guest today from the Ontario General Contract Association, uh, President Giovanni Catillo. Um, thanks so much uh, for being here, Giovanni. This is a Procore sponsored episode, so uh, we're welcoming Giovanni from, uh, from his office at the OGCA uh, in Toronto, Ontario. And uh, yeah, thanks for being with us uh, being with us today, sir. Yeah, I very much appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to be able to talk to you guys. It's, uh, I, I think it's imperative that we, as general contractors, kind of kind of share ideas and, 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 and pain points because, you know, sometimes you're isolated in your own geography and you think, oh, I'm the only one going through this. When in, in essence, when you start talking right across the nation, you find out that everyone's going through the exact same issues that you are. So it's, it's fun to share not only the gripes, but also the, the possible solutions at the other end. Absolutely, sir. Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to, uh, to diving into some, some hot topics. And uh, like we talked about uh, pre-episode, you know, a lot of the problems uh, and issues and current trends and current issues that uh, general contractors and all contractors are having throughout Ontario, is, it's not that much different from, from other provinces, right? So we'll draw some threads uh, from Central Canada to the East Coast, and uh, maybe we can start Giovanni, just with uh, an overall kind of summation of the of the association, um, you know what it means to be a member. Um, obviously, it's been around since the '30s, I think, if I'm correct uh, on that date. So uh, long, long history, and um, obviously, you know, a huge facilitation for for a lot of complex issues that come through for these for these contractors that are, are generaling, generaling these, these large uh, projects all throughout uh, the province. And you're facilitating all kinds of relationships, right? New, new things in the Construction Act, uh, contracts, uh, you know, just, just there for the, for the member to, uh, to kind of navigate and guide them through the, all the, the ever-changing things throughout the year. So I'll let you just give us uh, an overall view. How many members uh, currently, things like that? Okay, so... Uh, you're right. the The organization was was founded in 1939, and and clearly, I I was not even a thought in someone's mind at that time uh, when when it was developed. And the the preceding notion of why these companies came together back in 1939 were on the basis of health and safety and improving health and safety for uh, workers from the general contracting side of things. So you know we've got really good foundational roots in that aspect and it's still one of our uh, our foundational pillars moving forward today in our strategic plan and everything that we do so health and safety is is central to everything that we do um now to bring that back up in today's things your your other question was how many members that we have so in ontario um we've got 200 members but they represent over 70 percent of of the gdp uh, that is generated in ontario on an annual basis so we're like we're 14 billion plus and so, you so know, are you our, talking about GDP as a whole or within the, whole. with not just within ICI construction? No, as a right. whole, GDP as a whole shows you just just the massive uh, take and uh, you know share of, of the of the economy that that this sector has, right? Well, and you think about it, and what this sector employs not only directly but indirectly, right? When you look yeah, at it, those indirectly members, the seventy the seventy percent of, of of ICI ICI holistically, um, you know we can employ up to 500,000 individuals in ICI only, right? And so, you know, we've got 70% of that chunk because you're, you're looking at sub-trades, you're looking at, you know, direct employees, you're looking at secondary and tertiary markets. It's an incredible um, number. But again, construction is a main indicator for GDP. When you look at that, that at how we relate, just look at the projects that our members do, all infrastructure, all the transit projects that we're at, hospitals, schools, um, water, wastewater treatment plants, you name it, you know, uh, when it comes down to facilities and buildings and, 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 and community centers, everything that, that, that the public could possibly need, be it both on the public side or the private side, our members are able to facilitate. And it goes from the smallest contractor who does a, a park for the city of Toronto or, or name that municipality, you know, municipality X, all the way up to the hundred, you know, billion plus job where you're doing you know uh multiple rail projects uh right across for uh for for both metro links and and infrastructure ontario so there's a lot of there's a lot of diversity in our membership and we represent all we represent small medium and large contractors we don't just focus on one we represent every geographic region in ontario 
you know, and, and we're, we're, even though our offices are based in Toronto, we're not Toronto centric. We, we have, our board is representative of, you know, we've got members from Timmins and, and North Bay and whatnot on there, as well as, as Niagara. We've also got the representation, representation of 50% being unionized and 50% being open shop. So we don't discriminate against any general contractor. We welcome them all in because we want to share and to assist general contractors in moving their issues forward in, in removing impediments to how they do their work and bettering society and, and contributing to that, that portion of GDP that I spoke of. Yeah, it's interesting, too, the inception uh, in 1939, like you said. I mean, basically these founding fathers of, you know, company xyz i'm sure you know there's people out there who know these companies and maybe some of them are still uh big names in the industry right but they come together they're competitors at the time but there's so many issues that need to be tackled there's such a huge uh market uh and market share that's there and basically these competitors are coming together and you see that on smaller scales you know and i don't know how all associations start within the construction industry but it's basically you know the founding fathers coming together and say you know we, we need to solve these problems we might be competing with each other on on uh, large tenders uh, every, every six months or every three months or you know on closing dates but we need to get together and uh, you know have a hub for for where we can uh, you know solve problems and collaborate uh, so it, it's neat just to hear about how, the inception and the funny part is if you were to take you know the minutes from any one of these meetings back in 1939 and whatnot um, you would find a lot of the issues are still are still relevant today contracts yeah. being one of them that's except one of ex that... except people not turning their cell phones off during the meeting well yeah no that one over there that one's probably something totally different we that was predates it would be like my horse is not you know pulling enough at the, or yeah, whatever the case may be right so yeah. um but no you know all kidding aside i find that there's still a lot of uh relevancy to the 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 minutes and and what they were talking about back then and how it's still part of the vernacular today you know, you're looking at health and safety. It hasn't gone away. It's only it's a, it's only become more and more entrenched into how we do things, right? Um, advocacy being something that you know you wanted to always talk to the buyers, construction, and inform them. So that was always part of their ideology as well. And then you know, obviously, we expanded uh, upon you know how we want to do it. Enga engagement being another pillar of ours right now, which is making sure that we're talking to stakeholders like yourselves and all of your members in Atlantic Canada. But all stakeholders, like, you know, uh, the consulting engineers, uh, the architects, um, you know, the, the decision makers, uh, the, the people that actually are issuing out the tenders on the procurement side, we want to make sure that everyone's on the same page so that they understand, you know, why we're, we're, you know, when they write a contract, we come back to them and say, this isn't working for us for the, for the following reasons. And by putting that language in, you may be diminishing the pool of prospective bidders. So if you change it to this instead, you'll get, you know, a wider net that you can expand upon. And just the, I guess, the fourth kind of pillar of our strategic plan, and basically what you really want to highlight, is, because it is a Procore event and whatnot, so way to go Procore, is the whole innovation side of things. We introduced innovation as uh, another foundational pillar for us in our last strategic plan last year, because we found it to be um, so advantageous. When you go speak to, to kids in schools, because you want to entice them to come to construction, how are you going to do so? Money is one way, but you also want to say that, you know what, um, we're technologically advanced. We've got Boston mechanics spot the dog on some of our job sites walking around and doing, you know, the, the readings and, and, and collecting the data. Uh, we've got drones on other sites that are, are picking up things from a, a 3D view for video capture and whatnot. Um, we've got tablets that are being utilized by, by site supers and, and foremen that when we receive a load of X that comes into the site, you know, by the press of a button, the entire company is made aware of its receipt. Um, you know, it issues payment and it issues a PO for the for the next truck. This is the kind of stuff that we want to make sure that you know we we talk to the the next um, I guess prospective uh, individuals that want to come into construction and see it as a viable career because we've had for the longest time uh, a big challenge where you've got academia only feeding into academia and construction was always seen as you know if you can't make it in university or college then you go to construction it is the farthest thing from the truth you know i i do a lot of talks at schools and when i walk in first question how many of you have thought of construction today 
no hands go up unless you know it's some Italian kid who goes, "Oh yeah, my dad's." Yeah. And in in your in your experience, what are they thinking when they think of construction? What's the first thing that comes to mind? What's the stereotype? What's the dirty? You, if you can't make it in university and whatnot, then you go to construction. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a it's, plan B. It's not status. It's not. It's uh, it's yeah. it's the last plan on it. And and I hate to say it, but some guidance counselors say, well, if you keep upgrades like this, you'll end up at construction. They should be talking to the A-list students saying, if you keep upgrades like this, you're going to end up in construction. Good for you. Yeah. Because during the course of my talk, I'll invariably turn around and say, who likes to make X number of dollars during the year? And all the hands go up. I said, then you want to be in the trades. You want to be in construction. You want to be a yeah. project manager. You know, And and we've lost the, – the, it's a generational thing. I remember when I grew up with my dad, he's a stonemason from Italy, and, and he – instilled a sense of pride into me. So he would drive around the city and he goes, I built that building. I built that building. We did 8,326 blicks in, in that building. And he knew so much about, and there was just that oozing sense of pride. The kids today, they don't have that connection. There isn't that pride aspect of, of look what I've accomplished. Look what I've built. I'm part of, you know, the GDP of Ontario. That's the kind of thing that we really yeah. want to get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have, you, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, there, there is, uh, at the same time, it, and it's 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 a funny paradox because at the same time, there's there's a lot of highly passionate builders, you know, where that you know there's a lot of passion and fire that goes into to uh, you know having these our cities and communities built. At the same time, you know, there's the catch twenty two of uh, of that you know that stereotype of you know well construction is not still not seen. And it does it does come from, you know, education and academia, you know, that world, you know, and, and if we could bridge the gap and enmesh it so that it's 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 uh, it's on the same kind of page status wise in people's thinking in people's minds, because we're, we're going to talk about labor shortage. Right. And there's all these ways that obviously OGCA is, is is solving labor shortage and everyone else is being innovative. Anyone within the industry. Right. It doesn't matter if you're on the more white collar consulting side or the blue collar trade side. There's a labor shortage in everything. If you're looking for estimators. Every, there's labor shortages everywhere. Um, so, you know, there's one, there's ways to create pathways and how do we get more students involved and, and diversity and women in construction and all these things. And we're, tr we're all trying to solve immigration. Uh, but to change the thinking, uh, from that level, it, you know, it's hard to measure data wise, but the problem will, will be solved, uh, in that regard, I think maybe more so if, if within a 10 year span, if we can change people's thinking, right. And people in the industry already know what it's about, right? But people that aren't, how do we get them over? Great, great points. I think we were very uh, fortunate to have um, a minister of, of labor. So it's Ministry of Labor, Immigration, Training and Skills Development. A number of years ago, we embarked on conversations back and forth with the minister. And we impressed upon the minister the need for basically um, a campaign to communicate the skilled trades as young as kindergarten because you know we are finding we're going into high schools and as i'm going into high schools um the high schools are are stating you know one thing because the message is mixed as i noted and so we wanted to uh, to get in there because um the removal of shops really put us back the removal of, of having shops and schools and, and having people exposed to tools and, 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 and cutting implements and mechanic shops and all that stuff, that's now relegated to some, some aspect of the past. And we wanted it to be talked about still in schools. Um, you know, there, there, there are kids, my own kids, for, for uh, an example, are 16 and 14. They grew up watching Bob the Builder. And I was tickled pink because at least there's a cartoon that talks about construction. And all of the aspects that, you know, you can do in construction. The guy walked around with a hard hat all day long and it was normalizing it. It was, it was okay. Cause you know, the, the kids, the kid's grandfather, my, my dad would walk around with a hard hat and, and so that they could make the correlation. Um, this minister took it upon himself to really drive the campaign. And this is minister Monty McNaughton. So I've got to give him a shout out and all the kudos because under his guidance, he was able to really formulate this campaign. And, and there's been a real push and thrust on the trades 
on the on the on the construction side of things, on the supervision side and the management side, the OGCA is taking certain steps in order to, to help that. We can get into that now. We we can get into it, you know, a little later on. It's entirely up to you. You it just your, why don't, yeah, you mentioned it. Why don't we just dive right into that? So we saw a need and we did roundtable discussions with our members and what is the most important aspect for general contractors and that's supervision as i noted and so there's really no pro you know uh, aspect there's some you know construction management there's some project management but there's not one cohesive course that that blends all this together and and curbs expectations um, because that's another thing that I, I, I f didn't mention just yet, but a lot of the graduating students that come out of university or college in these programs are expecting to be CEOs the next day, are expecting to get paid, you know, billions of dollars for doing no work or or expecting to climb up the ladder and, and, and become, oh, okay, so I started today as a junior, I'll become a senior in three months, right? And they're like, no, yeah. no, you actually got to put your time into it. And so we curb expectations and we, we, we focus on the fundamental skills, which is uh, communication, conflict management, stuff that they're going to schedule in and really focus on that. And so what we've done is we've gotten grant money from the Ministry of Labor through Skills Development Fund. We're into our second year, and we're really focusing on bridging the gap from uh, the new graduates that come out as project coordinators that want to be project managers or any newcomers to Canada that fall into that category as well, right? That really want construction as a career choice, that that want to be uh, coordinators that, that could become project managers. So we have two, you know, bridging options there. And then we have a third one, which is a, a train the trainer aspect of things where we take super superintendents on site and we give the toolkit to our own members who can then signify and, and, and point out, well, you know, this individual, he'd be a great, uh, or she would be a great, uh, add on to our management team. We want to give them the skill set in order to develop. And so it allows contractors to facilitate within themselves the 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 training that is, again, those fundamental skills. So we got this grant money and we did it. We had a cohort that had gone through. And now we're into the second year of it, which is the placement aspect of things, right? We're looking, place it with companies. And so we've got those two aspects plus a third aspect which is we're focusing on women in construction and you know we're doing the surveys and the data collection now to ensure that we know exactly when um why is it that women aren't entering construction and if they are entering why aren't they staying in construction so there's there's a number of aspects that we're looking at to really make sure that that we're filling the void for our members that really necessitate us uh, continuing the conversation. So overall, it's been um, it's been very fruitful in the sense of 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 gaining knowledge and 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 insight, and and then providing that to a generation that hopefully, or the the people that come into it, hopefully will be the next project managers and and site supers on our sites. So overall, you know, we are we're still in their infancy. We're only in year two, but we're hoping to really keep advancing this so that we can have a pipeline. Of, of dedicated individuals that come from schools and newcomers to Canada that we can then place in our companies. Right, and you're solving the problem from a lot of different levels there, right, too. So that's, that's well, diverse, there's no, diversified effort. There's no one size that fits all, right? So, and, and you have to look outside of it because if we don't have enough graduates that really want to enter into you know, supervision at the ICI level. Maybe they have their sights set on 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 high-rise residential or 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 residential or or heavy civil. There's so many different aspects to construction. We want to make it easier for them to facilitate entry into what we need right now, which is supervision at the ICI level. And we've got a pool of individuals, newcomers. We want them to be able to find their path to us as easy as possible. And so, like, you know. You mentioned immigration at the onset, 100%. You know, you mentioned about, you know, getting the, the word through schools. That's another thing. We're facilitated and we're, we're connected to all the universities and all the colleges. We just want to be able to facilitate for our members um, a pool of talent that they can draw from. And, and that, that means that the students know that there's placement. And so there's a job at the end of the tunnel. And so, like, by tying these two together, I think it, it really, there's, there's synergies here. And so that's why we took it upon ourselves to, you know, get the, the, the grant money because it is all about skills development. 
Yeah, was there not just legislation passed uh, in the la- this year or last on high schools uh, in Ontario or another province in, in Canada regarding having trades count as credits toward uh, yeah. am i correct yeah you are correct and again that's something that, that that's minister a big Mc- step yeah it is a big step that minister mcnaughton we um so for the last number of years we've been working with the toronto district school board and the program that um, we facilitated with them is called step to ici construction and the step aspect of things is um we place students onto job sites for an entire semester they work under the control, tutelage, and supervision of, like, say, super or the foreman, whatever the case may be, of the company in question. So you've got company ABC. Company ABC pulls them under their wing, um, places them with a site super. That site super shows them all the aspects. So we could have 26 trades on site, right, whatever the case may be. They place them with each trade for about a week, right? So as they're 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 experiencing you know, these trades, they get a taste of, you know, what each trade can deliver. Most students, unfortunately, only know the compulsory trades. I know electrical, I know plumbing, I know carpentry. They have no idea that there's a plethora, there's 144 different possibilities and trades. And a lot of these kids come in going, yeah, you know, I think I want to be a plumber. And next thing you know, they, when they, they, they go through the program, they're like, oh, my God, I want to be a sprinkler fitter or I want to be a tile setter or I didn't realize how cool this aspect would be or that aspect. And I go to these graduation classes and the only problem is that they're limited to, you know, 88 students per semester because there's only so many cl- classes that can actually get this get this done. Um, we are trying to implore upon the um, the Ministry of Education to really expand upon this. Um, because we believe that having this program in every single school board in, you know, throughout the province or throughout Canada for that would be phenomenal because your entry point now to the amount of, of students that you come in, it's, it's 88 students per semester times 144. So, you know, you're starting to get to the point where you can actually start solving the shortages on things because you've got people interested in the trades, but they don't know what they don't know because they're not given um, exposure to the trades until they actually enter into it. So that's why it, this is kind of a consorted effort, right? We're, we're, we talk to the, the Minister of Labor in order to make sure that there's a campaign just to start talking about it and, and for it to be known as a viable um, endpoint as a career choice. Yeah, I wonder, you know, this might sound a little far-fetched to try and, make, to try and uh, draw a thread, but I wonder what kind of impact that might have on the immense amount of mental health problems there are with kids between the age of 16 and 25. That's a fact, you know, within the mental health community, like a lot of kids are struggling with the depression and anxiety. The suicide rate is really high. I just wonder, you know, when, when it comes to some kids, you know, the way that we're kind of, you know, thrown into this, this machine like education system and, and uh, society you know, I remember watching a TED talk about uh, a couple examples, a couple of examples that this this speaker had given about young kids who, who instead of, you know, they'd be thrown some medication and this or that from the counselor when all they really should have been doing was they should have been put in dance class or they should have been, you know, they should have had an outlet for. So I'm thinking of the trades in the same way as an art form, right? You mentioned your father was. Uh, you know, a, a stonemason, and uh, you know th- these are art forms. These are these are, you know, I'm not. This isn't a sexist comment. I, I'm talking very masculine uh, traits and, and feminine too. But but you know, to, for for someone to be able to build things with their own hands and the satisfaction that you can get from that when you don't do it for a while and you're used like I have a background in construction too. And when you're not building stuff with your hands and all your work is white collar, you're thinking it's different mental energy. But the satisfaction you can get from just changing a tire. Or from doing something with your hands, with it's like you know that you can look back and say, "This is what I did today." And what, the point I'm trying to make is, that, you know, if kids who are more geared toward that within their personality, their psychology, their makeup, you know, everyone is different and complex, right? But if if some kids who are meant to be working with their hands more, or even thinking more when it comes to building and, and envisioning and, and trades and, and the creative side of it and all that, who aren't given that opportunity and maybe are are, are, are kind of you know, stonewalled into other things that don't suit their their genetic makeup and, and things that kind of make them come alive, but also is a is a way of or it's a release for them, right? So, I, you know, it might sound far fetched, but uh, 
it's too bad that that's not there as a as, as an option more often you know for some of these younger kids right and like you said you're solving the problem from uh from the age of you know six seven eight even or even younger than high school right i mean ki- parents who want their kids to be in hockey <laughs> you know because they want them to be pro they're starting them at three they got skates on when they're four years old right well you know, we need to have this. You need to solve the problem kind of there, too. And if that was done the last 50 years, we wouldn't have the labor shortage, you know, that we have today. You know what? I think that analogy is, is a perfect tie in. I think that, you know, um, every parent wants their kid to, you know, to do well and to make money. And so they put them into hockey because they they hope that they're going to be discovered or they have the talent to be in the NHL. Um, the 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 sad fact is that only a small percentage actually do get that break where they can, you know, gain access to the NHL. The trades have a much more welcoming demeanor. Um, if they're put yeah. into trades or at least exposed to it. I, I can remember, I can tell you, I've been exposed since I was a kid. Uh, I remember when blueprints were actually blue and I'd be sitting on my dad's lap <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like he would explain to me what they were all about. So before I could read, I could read blueprints because he explained stuff to me. And again, with just numbers and, and whatnot. But I found, you know, I grew up, as my dad is stonemason, so he became, you know, a bricklayer over here. I grew up on construction sites. I learned how to drive a forklift when I was nine. Uh, it's now obviously, you know, um, the, the laws have changed. So, you know, you can't have a, a child that young on job sites. But I had such a sense of satisfaction being able to help my father create something. And it, it's, you know, that's something that, you know, if it were to be brought back in the schools, I think that having shops, having a tactile learning experience like you're talking about, because not everyone learns really well from just reading and and that 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 rinse and repeat and memorize this and then regurgitate. It's let's experience it. Let's build it. Let's have something tangible. And that's why shops are so cool. And one other aspects that I, I don't want to necessarily disagree with you on, but I want to kind of like change the perspective on, you said it's a very masculine thing. In the step to ISI construction, the cohort this year coming in, 50% female, 50% male. So I can mm-hmm. say that we have an equal opportunity for all to come in. And yeah. it's it's not necessarily a masculine thing. It's a satisfaction that you get mm-hmm. out of it. So to your point, you, you, you are able at the end of the day to turn around and go, Holy man, I did that. That's amazing. I, I with my own hands, framed this wall, painted that. I built this. It doesn't matter what it is. That sense of satisfaction is what, and pride is what we got to get back into the trades and is what we have to get back into construction because we're a wonderful community. We're, we're an amazing destination, um, but not enough young people know that yet. And so our job is to really hype it up. But not only that, prove to them that like, you know, you can start as a bricklayer and end up in a suit and run an association. It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. Same deal. If you're, if you're a pro athlete, you know, you can end up working, uh, you know, as a broadcaster or as an owner of a team later on. Right. It's, it's uh, same idea. Or if you don't do things right, you can work as a barista <laughs> at Starbucks. <laughs> you can be the water boy. You can be the water boy. <laughs> Maybe let's take a shift. I mean, this conversation, that's very uh, engaging, uh, you know, to to kind of talk about things from that that perspective, invigorating. Uh, But maybe we'll take a a little bit of a technical turn and talk a little bit about the association's role when it comes to your members and, you know, all these these general contractors, like you said, small, medium to large, but often signing, you know, very complex uh, contracts where, you know, it's, it's hard for for anyone, one person to keep up with, uh, you know, the stipulations and protocol in indemnities, limitations of liability, all these kinds of things when it comes to contracts for, uh, for these, for these GCs. And, uh, you know, one of the big things you do at the association and and yourself personally is kind of just give governance and facilitate, uh, advice and, and help helping with, uh, contractual, uh, issues. Can, can you just kind of give us a little bit of an overview? Uh, I'm not saying you have to give specific examples, but, uh, just how important that is, right? Because, you know, when it comes to the owner groups, whether it's a, a government project or a private, uh, private monies, you know, there's, there's, uh, some very high numbers being signed here at these contracts and, uh, a lot of risk being taken. So talk about how, how you help with that. So, uh, I think that what your uh, your audience needs to know is that, you know, this is something that hasn't happened, like this has evolved since 1939, right? This has been something that we as an organization have been assisting contractors, generally speaking, at the tender phase. 
because once a contract is signed, then, you know, the, the provisions and whatnot that you have in there are somewhat locked in. So we always try and be preactive, uh, proactive at it and get it at the tender phase. So our members come to us and say, hey, um, this, you know, um, municipality ABC or, or company ABC has released this tender. Um, we're not quite sure about the, you know, validity period or this period or whatever this or, or can they say that they're going to pay us in eight months as opposed to 28 days as per the construction act? And I'd be like, no, that's contrary to the act. So we advise them to say, um, provide me with the tender. We then write the buyer because we, we communicate independently with each individual that may be a prequalified bidder. We communicate with them and say, um, all right, where are your pain points? And we, we notify and we look through the contract as well. We've got um, a vast array of uh, associate partners. So we have an APP committee, associate partner program, comprised of, of insurance companies, surety companies, lawyers, you know, people who really assist in the betterment of construction, but aren't really contractors themselves. And so we can go out to them and say, is this legit? Can they do this? Can they say this? And they're, you know, we get legal responses that we then are able to compile in our responses and submit to them and say, no, you can't have a validity period of 120 days for the following reasons, because, you know, we are, as contractors are only getting uh, price guarantees from our subs for up to 48 hours. So how can I hold my price for? Yeah, it's not, it's not even, it's not even 30 days from that, that level of these days, no, right? It's, it's, 40, it's 48, 48 hours. hours. Like, you know, yeah. and so, and so we communicate that openly to the buyers of construction and explain to them why, if they want better pricing, reduce your validity period back to historical standards, which are 30 days. If you sit there and say, I want you to hold your price for nine months, and that is not even, I. we had one just recently. It was a, a municipality who came out and said, we want you to hold your price for nine months. And I said, you're going to get no people holding their price for nine months. So we qualified the bid saying, change the, the following provisions and we'll consider submission. And if you don't change the submission, then I'm not bidding because, you know, you're, you're not in a position to be able to do so. Contractors price risk. And if you make it riskier, the higher the price, right? Like, but we don't know. Look, we've all gone through COVID. No one could have seen COVID coming. And now having experienced it, it is now built into some of the contracts saying, if we go through another pandemic, you, you know, you're responsible. Well, how am I responsible? How am I going to be able to control the supply chain? We've all seen what it can do. So we make sure that we we curb provisions like that. Indemnifications that remove the upper cap and the timelines are things that we want to make sure are not in the the uh, the vernacular of the buyers of construction because that just that's a company killer. If you if you remove the upper limitation on indemnification and the timeline, that means that you know they can come back to you at any one time for any price point that's insane no contractor should be able to to and won't won't say yes to that and so what we do then is we submit um after talking independently so the contractors never actually talk to each other they only talk to the association we submit on behalf of the industry and all bidders involved we never name the bidders but we right we confidentiality here yeah 100 confidentiality on on behalf of everyone we submit saying that if you change this provision to the following so if you reduce your validity period from nine months to 30 days you will get better pricing or you'll get at least attract more bidders because the bidders have a choice and and because there's a risk element to it they have to price that if they know that it's restricted down to a, a price point where they can actually manage then then it's easier for them to bid and it makes sense right it's logical i'll give you a quick example there was a municipality which will rename nameless just because um the, the gta provisions... no 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 <laughs> no 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 i'm not going to go in there and throw them under the bus but it was um so the provision was liquidated damages and the liquidated damages said that um if the construct is not built by fill in the date july 1st 2024 um the 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 contractor owes the municipality the the total price for the project. So the price for the project was two hundred million dollars. I'm like, no, no contractor worth any salt or who have, who's read the the provision is going to say yes to that. That's a company killer. And so we're able to to basically um, by coming at them with this saying, listen, you you should change it to this. Uh, we're not big on liquidated damages, but if you do do it then quantify it to a number that that and and make it so that it makes sense 
um, what a lot, like what assurances do we have that you have all your permits, that you've got your 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 environmental assessment done? Like, let us know to ensure that we can start day one, that we're not going to be delayed by six months because you didn't do something, and now liquidated damages come into effect because of your shortcomings. This is all something that you know we always write into the buyers of construction, just to inform them, to educate them. Because I hate to say it, a lot of the, the procurement um, um, departments have changed over. A lot of the people, because of COVID, retired. They've left. So you have that institutional knowledge that they've left. And you've got a bunch of young kids who are going to, they've come in and they want to rewrite how things are done. And, um, or they've taken stuff that they've done in the past and they've cut and paste. And, and like asking for uh, errors and emissions on a bid build doesn't make any sense. It's not a design build, but you're asking for it. So we educate them to say, this is something that is not required on this specific project. So a stip sum doesn't require uh, an E&O. So let's, let's remove that so that the, the contractor is not pricing something that they don't need to. Right. Right. But like, you know, to your point, we do this for all contractors, small, medium, and large. And we've had some of the larger guys come in, even though they have in internal legal departments. They see the benefit of working through the OGCA as the voice for all contractors. And it 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 ends up like we're we're about 85% successful. Yeah. So you're changing. And, and go ahead, sorry. No, no, we're 85% successful in changing the bidders um or sort of the 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 buyers. Um, notion of how the tender should be written to the contractor's favor. That's a good success rate. Yeah, and it's 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 because of our members. You know, they they see value in this, and they they bring us the issues. Sometimes too many issues because, unfortunately, you know how things things come in waves. Well, at the but, same time, yeah. But at the same time, they're working through the association as the voice for the general contractor. We're very unique in the industry, where we're the only organization that is only general contractors. We don't have any trades and in, in stuff. Um, as I noted, we do have uh, an APP. It's not like it's not a membership thing. They're they're an adjacent group that assists because of you know surety, insurance, bonding, all that, all of that, and legal. But they they are um, they're they're only that they're a, an assistance to the general contractors. We as an organization speak on behalf of the general contractors. We get their pain points. We get. Um, how solution driven they are. And a lot of times we're successful in getting things changed that, you know, nobody thought could get changed. So overall, we've been very, very happy with, with how we've been able to effective change for our members to the betterment of the industry as a whole. I'm looking at this from trying to look at this from like a, you know, 30,000 foot view. And, you know, when you're talking about infrastructure dollars in Ontario and GTA and all the other municipalities around, uh, in Ontario, so many, um, you're, you have an outlook of 10, you know, maybe five year increments, 10 year increments. Um, you're seeing that, uh, the government, uh, provincial federal is, is pumping money into healthcare the next, you know, so many years could be schools, could be that the U of T or, or university in Ottawa that has, you know, uh, big plans for, for campus, uh, additions or renovations or whatnot. Um, you're constantly, as the president of OGCA and OGCA as a whole, uh, you know, facilitating this, like you said, this massive portion of the GDP and, you know, between political realm for the contractors that are overseeing the construction. You know, there's a lot of a lot of relationships there to manage, kind of cross tangent into you know lots of different um, arenas, right? So, can you talk a little bit about your role and how? You know, you're you're constantly keeping your pulse on elections and, uh, you know, acts and, and things within the political realm. And then you're, you're coming back to the contract and saying this is what you know, this is what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years. Or this, these are the issues. You know, you've got a lot to navigate there. Uh, so, yes, we do have a lot to navigate. But I, I also want to note that, you know, um, the association has a staff and and the association is we derive benefit from the APP program, our associate partners, because they're the ones who, you know, we'll get law firms, you know, send yeah. us bulletins and send us notations about stuff they've heard. And then with a phone call, you can get even further information, right? We pride ourselves on having um, very good relations with government because we're actually, you know, emailing, calling them, talking to them. They reach out to us 
for input. We've, you know, just recently had uh, uh, certain ministries go, hey, um, if we did this, would this better the system? And, you know, we can, they want to know from general contractors directly. So they come to us. Um, meeting with multiple boards, meeting with other stakeholders, we're involved in so many different boards. We're, we're involved with, you know, the CDAO, the Construction Design Alliance of Ontario. That's 19 different organizations from architects to engineers, uh, you know, to consulting engineers to every major, you know, sub trade. And we all sit and talk about procurement woes and how to better the system. Um, we sit on, you know, health and safety boards. We sit on IHSA. We sit on so many different uh, and, and fundamentally, you know, uh, life-changing uh, groups. So the conversation is actually quite easy. Plus, we have our committees. We have an innovation committee. We have a health and safety committee. We have a best practices committee. We have an OAA, OGCA uh, committee that just talks about, you know, how architects and, and, and uh, general contractors you know, can can alleviate problems before they actually become stuff. So this is all kind of in a day's work. So when you say, how do you navigate that stuff? It's part of the gig. It's part of the job. It's yeah. it's being able to speak to, you know, your organization and all of Atlantic Canada through you in saying that we have the same issues that you guys have out there. And that, you know, it's, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel we're trying to get, you know, better treads on a balding tire is what we're trying to do, right? Yeah, so. well, it's, it's no different than, you know, great employees, good employees. I mean, they're going to tell you what, what they need and what they want in the same way that the contractors, part of the APP, they're telling you what they need and what they want. When you come back to them with the news, uh, you know, from whatever other sphere of the, you know, of the uh, political, economical arena, then they're just going to, you know, you're going to be able to hash it out between all parties, right? And, you know, for the 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 audience out there that that doesn't know construction is a very small community even though we're so vast everyone knows everybody in the sense of like there's a respect thing that that you know when we meet when we meet as a board we discuss issues that affect every geographic region in ontario every size contractor because it, it's indicative to general contractors it's not in indicative to big contractors in toronto it's indicative to all contractors and the larger companies assist because they may have gone through um, uh, an endeavor, a protocol, uh, an activity, and say, "Oh, we've got we've got information on that. Let me provide that to your safety committee so you can disseminate that through, through, and so that everyone's on the same playing field." That's the benefit of having an association where you're sharing information, because we don't see things like health and safety as proprietary. Health and safety is something that we should all be thinking of before a shovel hits the ground, right? BIM and getting everyone on the same page on moving us towards that that technological advancement to better us so that we can, you know, better and look at clash detection and how things are built and, and whatnot in the 3D setting so that before we, you know, to avoid the claims on the back end, the lawyers are going to kill me on this one now, but to avoid the claims on the back end, to fix it on the front end so that, you know, it's, it's easier for us to get and adhere to schedule. So these are the kind of things that we're always talking about and always advancing. And so having an association like ours really benefits the entire industry because we're constantly talking about things that affect only general contractors. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, proud to be, you know, re representative of this group, I'm very proud to be able to to say uh, they could have got a better looking spokesmodel, but they they got stuck with me. But I'm I'm very proud to say that you know what 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 they do on a regular basis is really focused on general contractors only. You know, so you know from that standpoint, a lot of your members could benefit from from replicating stuff like we've already done, and we're happy to to provide assistance in any way we can. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that you're drawing the thread. A lot of the problems that your members are having, they are the same problems, right? I mean, think about big, small, mid-size. I mean, uh, you know, these issues are are not uh, across the board. It's it's, it's uh, there's lots of similarities, and uh, I think a lot of people might look at you know the the size and the vastness. Right, you're right. Your point to how how big the industry is, or you know, some of the projects that are that are um, happening in, in, in the GTA and throughout Ontario compared to Atlanta, Canada. And, uh, but it's, you're still building 
and uh, you've got the same it's the same issues, right? So we can learn so much just by having conversations with each other. And um, I wanted to go further into that comment you made about BIM. Um, talk about let's talk a little bit about the small to medium sized right contractors. I know even in your membership tiers, like you know you have con- GCs that are at the five million revenue mark, and then between five and twenty five mil up to one hundred and fifty mil, you know, and then beyond, right? So there's so many different sizes and companies become different uh entities at, at those different points right it takes on a, a different life you know uh, you know uh, like a they're, they're different types of companies right within those different tiers right and that's why they're broken up that way but you know for small to mid-sized uh general contractors throughout ontario but there's lots in nova scotia too right it's lots happening in rural nova scotia and new brunswick and and uh you know newfoundland and prince Edward island and and, and these are GCs that aren't right, maybe right in the core of HRM, you know, building the big complex projects downtown. But uh, there's so many great things happening beyond that, right? Maybe it doesn't get the same amount of, uh, you know, it's not as sexy, maybe. Uh, but you know, for for these small to mid-sized contractors who you know are could be operating more efficiently when it comes to some things that they haven't adopted yet, like, you know, whether it's BIM or uh, you know, obviously Procore is, is pretty well known and, and, uh, you know, you pretty, you need to have these things now just to, just to compete. But, uh, the time saving, you know, we talked about this, uh, when we chatted last week about, uh, you know, to, to adopt these things, you could save the money on, on one job in 12 months, right. When you're keeping track of hundreds of change orders on, on a job. And, uh, when you have BIM modeling for, for the, the early onset, you know, for, but, but I think specifically to some of the smaller uh, and mid-sized GCs that is it that they don't see themselves like, well, we don't need that yet. You know, we're not that advanced. We're not we're not doing these major. Pro- we're not big enough. But at the same time, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the same old saying as a salesperson. Like, you know, you, you can't sell something to someone that it's sad because you know they need it but you can't just tell them that they need it right the, until they, and then and then three months later after you've sold them that they say why didn't i do that five years ago right just and so it goes back to the the whole premise that i talked about how we can educate all of our members and the the larger companies who have gone through these pain points because you know they've they've realized that they need a management system or 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 personnel resource system or a scheduling system and so they go through all of these pain points because they required it for the company to run more efficiently we're able to then communicate that to the smaller members saying if you do x y and z you'll be that much farther advanced in three months and you know it always comes down to price so uh, I can give you anecdotally, I, I went to a, a small mom and pop contractor, you know, they do, they do a lot in the school board realm of things, right? And they, they, a lot of renovations. And for them, you know, uh, a $5 million contract is, is equivalent to what a $100 billion contract would, would be for another member, right? Like it's all relatively speaking. And they had a litany of change orders on, on a project and, and, uh, you know, I had asked, just out of curiosity, but, you know, what did those change orders amassed to? Like, what was the total amount? And the amount they provided me, I said, based on the time, energy, and the amount of, of money involved in those change orders, had you done BIM, it would have paid itself with just half that amount. And so, like, yeah. these are things that, you know, you also have to look at because it's all about efficiency. How does a contractor make money? You price a job, you get in, you do the job, there are no problems, you get paid, you get out. That's how a contractor makes money, right? It's not, I get in, then I look for problems to get change orders because I'm, I want to fight with the client at the end of it and, and hopefully get pennies on the dollar on my claim. That's not that's not indicative of how we do things. Yeah. And so... But contractors, contractors are so busy doing that, get in, get the job done, like you said, you said, it, said you would and get out without any you know, too many deficiencies and trade damage and going back for whatever wasn't done right. Um, that they don't have the time to, you know, they're so immersed in, in and it's a very demanding, you know, money and, and time and money is always going to be the big thing. And you, like you said, it comes down to cost. It always is. And it, but in a sense, it's more about the, and we've had guests on our podcast talk about, you know, uh, incorporating Procore into their working model a new technology, uh, a new accounting software, uh, BIM, you know, any, any, any new, it, it does, it's not just about the cost. It's about the time and the change. And, you know, it's so hard to be open to 
such a big change to how, how we've done things, right? So, but in a sense, that still is cost, right? Because it's going to cost money. It's going to cost more time. It's going to take more time. It's going to be a frustrating period of maybe a year where all these little key commands or whatever you're used to doing, they're all going to change, right? And that, that it's a frustrating extra layer of stress for that amount of time. So that that's why a lot of people don't agree to it too. But essentially, it's still about cost, right? It's still going to... Cost being one aspect, I think the the unknown and the change aspect is also very very it weights very heavily in that because people are resistant to change let's be honest human nature yeah you're you're you you know what you know and when you get into that like it becomes comfort zone thing when you drive to work you kind of take the same route every every day you don't you know go north to go south type thing right that's not what you're all about why because it's comfortable you know how long it's going to take you you know all of all of the parameters when you start changing stuff like that now all of a sudden you you introduce unknowns and so from a contractor standpoint let's be honest general contractors don't like unknowns we price risk <laughs> remember what i said exactly yeah, so, exactly. so when you when you have an unknown and it's not proven that's why it's kind of helpful for a larger company to say look we gone through it it took us x number of months it cost us x number of dollars and then all of a sudden this is the savings you get on the back end and all of a sudden, the smaller contractors go, oh, wait, I could do that. And so it's it's almost like an older sibling teaching a younger sibling, you know, the ropes type thing. It's helpful in the industry. And 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 our, our group does it really well. Our contractors talk to each other really well. Even though they're fierce competitors, there is a respect because we're in the same pool. And it may not be at the same level, but you know, you'll have larger companies coming to small mom and pop shops and saying, absolutely, you know what, we are, we're, we're, we're not competitors, but we see that, you know, you're doing really well in this realm. Congratulations. Or if you change this one aspect, you you could get that much more out of it. You know what I mean? Like, so these are all things that I think overall would be fantastic for other associations and other groups to, to take on uh, from both um, a networking aspect, but from an information standpoint, because that's what our commodity is. It's information. You share information, you raise, you know, the level of everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's funny. It's, keep, you have I was going to say, well, I, I'm going to throw in an old adage, right? So um, Confucius once said that, you know what, if you show me, um, I'll forget. Uh, no, if you tell me, I'll forget. If you show me, I'll remember. But if you involve me, I'll understand. And that's kind of like where we want to be. We want to be at that understanding basis so that a smaller contractor then internalizes and understands why, you know, switching to um, said technology is better for them and why investing the money in that technology uh, could better the, the, the company for them to, to break that threshold. Maybe they want to be, you know, over that, that $5 million in gross revenue. Maybe they want to be six, seven, eight. How do you do that? Well, if you incorporate this technology, it can just thrust you over or slowly push you over or whatever the case may be. But it it allows you and it, that's kind of like the 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 equalizer. Technology ends up being the equalizer in all things. All things being equal, if you're that much more advanced on the tech side and you can communicate that much quicker and you know what's going on in your job site faster and better than than your competitor, you got an edge. And so that's why we're always talking about BIM and technology and, and advancing and dialing it up that we're not a bunch of Luddites. We don't walk around, you know, with a wheelbarrow and a shovel, you know, screaming at each other. We've yeah. got, you know, complex, like some of our contractors are into 8D for BIM. 8D is thinking about how to set up safety on scaffolding before the, the job is even set up. And they look at the 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 parameters of the landscape and the topography, and oh, there's some electrical poles over here. And they go to the 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 client and say, if you bury these poles now, you'll save yourself five million dollars instead of waiting, you know, until we break ground and do that because we're already going to be excavating. So for us to excavate that and put it in will cost you nominally as opposed to waiting till after the fact. And so these are the kind of solutions because our contractors are problem solvers. Let's be honest, this is what they do on a regular basis. You, you get a bunch of contractors together. They're trying to solve, you know, any, yeah, well, any problem. The world's well, woes. Yeah, they're solving problems before they happen, right? A year before they happen or 10 years, right? When they're catching these things long before. Yeah. No, it's interesting, the point you made, too, when you talked about, you know, the older sibling and that you brought in that adage. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of these changes and transitions in companies, too, 
often do take place when it comes to the technology when it's an older generation passing on the business to a younger generation right obviously that's I grew up in a different times, a different demographic, you know, maybe it's Gen X or millennials exposed to baby boomers and they've got, you know, just, just a different way of thinking. So that's a, that's a big thing too. And I, I know there's some statistics, I'm not going to name any, but uh, within the next six or seven years, you know, we're, we're expecting a lot of, and you mentioned in a different context, a lot of people are retiring, right? From different institutions, from different parts of uh, different associations, from, from general contracting companies that have been around for you know, these people have been involved for 30, 40, 50 years and they're retiring soon. And there's a big, uh, there's going to be a big shift, right? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And where do you see, you know, I, we, we did talk about the labor shortage already. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, site supervision is such a key role, such a, such a hub. And uh, I wonder, like, what, what's your take on, on this next five years or so and kind of filling in a lot of people that are going to be retired um and then what what in your opinion like what what makes a good super supervisor for a gc on site like what kind of people what kind of skills um what's what's the you know the model what's the perfect uh not not perfect but what's what kind of person is that you know that that's a tough role to fill and that's a, a big role that a lot of gcs are trying to find right there's a real shortage in men who can look after men and women who can look after these major projects from a supervision standpoint there's only so many out there with that have so much so much experience right i think that you know there's no one perfect you know um one size fits all type thing but i think there are some characteristics that if you want to be successful in the role of of site super or or project manager i think you know, um, you gotta want or thrive on, you know, you gotta be a problem solver. You gotta like a challenge. Uh, you gotta like people, I hate to tell you, but you're gonna have to deal with a lot of people. So if you don't like people, eh, probably not your stick. And, um, and you have to be able to communicate. Um, I think you have to have a, a, a level headedness about you. You gotta be able to remain. Well, it's funny the all, yeah, all the things you just mentioned, you know, and, 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 and for good reason. I mean, you, you've got to have the experience and knowledge. And, but we didn't talk about construction at all in those things. I mean, if these are all these are all things that are inherently... Fundamental skills. Right. So I was going to draw on, you know, what's your opinion when it comes to, as opposed to IQ, but EI, emotional intelligence. You know, there's a lot of talk about that in the psychology field, in the, in the you know, business world. This is a far greater indicator of success for individuals those who have high emotional intelligence whether their iq is is average whether their experience level is is good enough on the resume to partake in that in that specific role but your ei you're not going to be drawn out emotionally by the same things and you certainly have to have a a very sound emotional intelligence to deal with that many different kinds of people with that complex of a project with that many moving parts with that fast a timeline, that's what you really, that's a big thing that you really need, right? You need to be in, in control of your emotions. And if you, if you haven't been taught or learned or, or, or got, then your emotions are going to get the best of you and you're going to, it's going to compile really quickly. What's your thoughts yeah, on that? You're, you're absolutely right. When it comes down to, um, remaining calm, even under stress, um, that itself is, uh, worth its weight in gold. Someone not freaking out over the littlest thing or, oh, no, we didn't get this. Being able to to manage that from the 85,000 foot level and, and, you know, it's either emotional intelligence or common sense or, you know, fill in yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. adjective you want to at the time. It's all a matter of... Um, of being able to to work with all of the stakeholders um, cohesively, right? And to not everyone's going to get along. That that's that goes without saying. Like you you can't go into a room and 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 anticipate that you know ten people in the room are all going to love you. That's that's unrealistic. But aim for eighty percent, right? Try and, yeah. and get the message across to eighty percent of the the group because all of a sudden you'll find that the other twenty percent even begrudgingly they'll they'll have to you know. They, they, they want to get paid or they want to get the job done they, they're gonna they're gonna follow suit um i think that, that you know emotional intelligence isn't something that's taught in school uh, um i think that you know relating back to your initial point about 
you know, what's going to happen when, you know, all this institutional knowledge is gone with, you know, some of the people leaving the industry, we are finding that some of the people who have retired, you know, after being retired for a number of years have come back to the contractor saying, Hey, can I even work for you part-time on site? I'll help and communicate to the next goes, I'm bored at home. I don't know what to do. You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, there's your, there's your training program, right? And Perfect. That's, so that's one aspect of it. So we're, we, from an organizational standpoint, are trying to parlay that, like all the, the, the project managers that have been in the industry for 30 years and are now, you know, wanting to ride out into the sunset, say, hey, can we pick your brain once a month, you know, and, and, or would you like to do a talk in front of, you know, some up and coming, you know, potential project managers, you'll find that, you know, in our industry, because, we're pretty cordial and we're pretty, you know, uh, obligatory. We're, we're like, absolutely, we're happy to assist in any way possible. And so, you know, we are able to pass along that, that, that institutional knowledge in a small part. I think that, you know, as the program grows, we'll pull more from, you know, those who are retiring or, or whatnot, have specialty people who can do podcasts or, or recordings like this so that we can have it in perpetuity so that we can, you know, keep playing it and say, oh, this man knows this stuff. You, you want to listen to this podcast, listen to this. And and so it can continually, you know, we're using technology. I get back to that point. We're using technology to help train the next group of individuals. And most of the training now can be done online, right? So it doesn't even matter geographically where you are. You don't have to come into a classroom to do it. But you do need, you know, maybe a retired facilitator to say, yeah, that wasn't bad. But if you did this minor change, because we can't lose the human touch is what I'm suggesting oh. that that AI and, and, and whatnot will never replace what a person can actually do because AI only learns from all of the, the past stuff. A person has that emotional intelligence, you know, to your point. So, yeah, I see that, you know, there's there's definitely a place for people who are exiting the industry to still assist if they choose to in the industry, you know, unless they've left and said, you know what, I'm done right before the sunset. And that's, <laughs> which, that's, that's, you know, which is also you can't, valid. You can't blame totally them valid. I can't, I can't, I can't knock him for doing that either. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame him at all. Oh God, no, that's, that's so true. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your thoughts uh, on that, Giovanni. Um, I had like 10 other things I wanted to ask you. There's so many things we could talk about. Is there anything on your mind that we hadn't touched on on behalf of the Ontario General Contract Association that you wanted to, uh, you know, just kind of extend to our audience uh, to to promote or to just draw attention to that's on your mind? Uh, I can tell you that from my standpoint, under my tenure, uh, when I came on, I'm, I'm really trying to focus on um, the small to medium-sized contractor. And I find that if you take care of, of them, not at, the, at the, the negligence of the larger contractors, please don't misunderstand that. What I am saying is that the larger contractors have um, individuals who, who already work in their organizations, internal lawyers sometimes, you know, health and safety professionals. Yeah. They have whole divisions. Their IT departments could be vast. Um, so they don't have the same pain points as the smaller contractors. So we work with the larger contractors to assist the smaller ones in really elevating them. Um, there's a saying that, you know, the, the tide raises all ships. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to raise all the ships in our association and our, in our industry for that matter to really, you know, educate them, provide them with the tools, provide them with the resources so that when they go in and they talk to a buyer of construction, they're confident about their position. They're confident because they were like, oh, the OGC just put out a bulletin on indemnification. The OGC just put out a bulletin on liquidated damages and what we should and shouldn't accept. The OGC just put out a bulletin. And so it's one of these things where, you know, information is power. And so the more you know, the better you're able to make decisions. And because our contractors make decisions every single day, they're, they're, they need to be fed constant, constantly. And so this is, this is our, our, our lot in, in the entire scheme of things. We move information around. And when we're, you know, when we're given some information, we validate it, we ensure that it's correct, and then we disseminate it through the industry because we want to make sure that everyone is armed and ready to make that decision and make it you know, properly. So... By focusing on the, the smaller contractors, we find that the there, there's that sense of satisfaction for the medium and, and larger ones because they're giving back. And the small contractors aren't 
it's not just about the big guys and it for for you know like i said since i've taken over in 2020 it's not just been about the larger contractors it's been about all contractor issues and and we yeah, find I, that it's been it's been very um beneficial and the feedback that we're getting is we're on the right path we're not quite at the pinnacle yet but we are advancing the cause the way it should be so uh, you know for all other associations out there don't don't just focus on one category make sure that you know you love your children all the same they're all amazing yeah they're all different but 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 we love them the same <laughs> exactly <laughs> i gotta love them differently that's a, um no, and, and the, certainly the Construction Association in Nova Scotia and the others in the different provinces uh, do a great job of that, serving all the different size uh, contracts that are with them. And like your, to your point, that's often where the biggest impact, though, is made, right? I mean, like you said, corporate is corporate, and, and, and the, the, the big companies take on, you know, they're their own beast. Um, and you don't neglect the efforts there. But this is often where the biggest impact is made on, on those small to medium-sized companies and not just on their companies, but the people, right? I mean, you, you impact those owners in a big way. You, they can't live without you, right, in some, in some regards. Like, they, 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 maybe they, that's, a, that's a strong statement, but the, what you're facilitating to them carries much more weight to get them, to elevate them and for peace of mind and for, you know, minimizing risk and just to be there as a as an advocate right so yeah and i'm not gonna i'm not about to say that you know they can't live without us i think if anything we add to their um their toolbox so you know contractors have many many tools that they can utilize at their disposal the association's just yet another tool sometimes i can be a finesse tool sometimes i can be a sledgehammer it depends on what you need right so <laughs> it depends, depends on what side of the bed you wake up on in the morning it depends on like, you know, hey, what, hey, what, hey. what issue we're talking about, right? So. I'm, Ital I'm Italian. You can't believe it. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think that, you know, from your audience perspective, um, you know, I know that, 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 that Ken's does a, a fantastic job out in Nova Scotia, like there, and it's Duncan out there and he's, he's awesome. And, and through, you know, other um, organizations like the CCA, we work together with all associations right across Canada and we continually talk about issues and, and whatnot. So nothing is ever done in isolation. I think, you know, for your, the contractors in your geographic region of Atlantic Canada, they may think that they're the only ones suffering a pain point. And I'm here to tell you, they're not. It's being felt right across Canada. It's being felt right across. I can tell you in Ontario, um, there's probably no issue that you guys are facing other than maybe, you know, flooding, that would be, you know, the, 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 the ocean coming in and flooding certain aspects. That would be the only thing geographically right. that, that would You're set landlocked. us differently apart. Yeah. Landlocked. Yeah. We're landlocked here, but you yeah. know, there's, there's, there's um, from a general contractor basis, you've got to look at things holistically. And the more we talk, uh, the more, you know, we're, we're invited to podcasts such as your, your, yours, the more that we share this information, the better we become. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Giovanni. Uh, real pleasure to, to chat with you. I mean, we could go on for hours, but in the interest of time and, and your time, we'll we'll cut things uh, we'll cut things off there. And uh, this has been it's been a great uh, great conversation. Uh, great for our team here at Atlantic Construction Podcast, and uh, hoping that our and and our listeners uh, throughout Nova Scotia and the rest of Atlantic Canada. Uh, draw on all the all the topics that we talked on today thanks for your time appreciate it it's, it's been a blast it's been an absolute pleasure and you know please by all means if there's anything in the future that we can assist with be it Atlantic canada be it you know uh, any of the uh, the the your other listeners because i'm assuming that this is going to be broadcast far and wide just because you got that kind of staying power i'd be much uh, very happy to assist in any way possible because that's what we want to see ourselves as as a as an asset and as a resource to the industry